Well, hello and welcome to the Transfix Take On. I'm your host, Jenny Ruiz, and today, Trey Griggs, founder and CEO of the Beta Consulting Group, is taking on an authentic approach to the freight marketing space. Trey has worked with many of the largest 3PLs, logistics technology providers, and media organizations within transportation, and is honestly one of the nicest, most genuine guys who just had a birthday yesterday. Trey, happy birthday, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me here, and uh, thanks for the the birthday wishes. You know, 45 is uh, not really that big of a deal, but we made it another year, so we're good. Absolutely. Now, Trey, you have a pretty unique career path, right? Like from being a math teacher and science teacher to VP of regional sales at DAT to part-time realtor to general manager at Port TMS. I'm going to keep going because the list continues to grow. (laughs) Technology consultant at Chuck Tools. And now obviously you're the founder and CEO of Beta Consulting Group, as, as well as the hosts of Word on the Street and Standing Out podcasts. Walk me through your journey here and tell me what led you to today's moment. Man, that's a laundry list of uh, of all this. It's been a fun career. It's been a wild career, but it really fits who I am. I I tend to like to do a lot of different things. I've always enjoyed that. So having a career that has allowed me to be in many different um, you know industries as well as just different roles. I loved being a high school physics teacher. In fact, that was my favorite job, and I'd still be doing it to this day if it paid anything at all. Um, but I loved that. I loved coaching. Loved being around kids and just uh, helping kids you know um, see the potential that they have in their life. So absolutely love that. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a while as well. I enjoyed that. Um, but then when I, you know, when we started having a family and my wife wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, it's kind of her dream, what she wanted to do and what we wanted for our family. Uh, being a teacher just didn't really work. And so um, I had a friend encourage me to get into sales. He thought that my competitive nature and my personality would do well. And um, so I tried that. I got into door-to-door sales, which was pretty wild as a 32-year-old with a master's mm-hmm. degree and two kids at home. 100% commission job, but I learned a lot. Did that for 15 months, uh, made less money than I made as a teacher during that time period, but learned skills that helped me propel my career to where um, within a couple of years, I was 3Xing and 4Xing my my teaching uh, salary, which of course allowed us to have the life that we wanted to have, which was my wife staying home. So it was a, a great ride and a great journey. I've been with a company that does you know load board freight matching, rating, a TMS provider, a tracking solution. I've been with two companies that really focus on staffing and hub tech and lean solutions group. So I've had a lot of uh, different experiences. I've seen a lot of different aspects of the supply chain, particularly when it comes to servicing freight brokers. Uh, and so it's been a, it's been a great ride. So Beta Consulting Group is really about betting on myself finally. I think I've always been entrepreneurial, but didn't have the courage to do it, to, to take the risk because it seems pretty scary and pretty daunting. But once you take the jump, especially if it's who you are, like you just, you just kind of hit yourself upside the head. Like, why didn't I do this sooner? And that's really how I feel about the journey. I love um, you know having my own company and kind of writing my own ticket, if you will. Sure. Um, I love helping a lot of different companies. When you work with one company, you get to help that company. But when you have your own company and, and me being a consultant, I get to help several different companies at the same time, get to work on different projects and uh, really fits my skill set and how I think. And so it's been been a real joy. It's taken a while to figure out product market fit. I think that's you have an idea and you start a company and you think it's just going to take off and then you get hit a few bumps in the road and realize, OK, maybe I, my idea wasn't that great, but let's figure this out. And with some help of some mentors and some friends, and uh, you know, clients that gave me feedback and and others I feel like we're much much closer to a really good product market market fit with what I'm passionate about, what my skill set is, and what the market I think really needs right now. So it's a lot of fun right now. You know, when we first started, uh, when we first talked, we talked a lot about um, 
the idea that sales and marketing has to be in lockstep with each other mm -hmm. at, especially yeah. at a freight brokerage or any, any supply chain logistics organization. And I, and I think by far that has to be the truest statement that I've heard thus, you know, to this day, why do you think that is? And what is the blind spot for both of these groups? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I know why it is. I think I have some ideas, but I think it's really common. And when you look at, you know, especially when you think of startup companies, when you look at the evolution of a company, mm -hmm. the sales almost always starts with the founders. It's founder led sales and it's, and it's network sales. So if I'm a founder, I'm going to go to my network and I'm going to tell them my idea and hope that somebody's going to take a chance and give me a shot and become a customer. And that's pretty common. I think that's, that's more common than not. That's how companies typically get started. And so you start with a, a founder-led sales approach that grows, and, and some companies do a great job with that. Some companies, freight brokers out there, get up to $25 million in revenue yeah. without really having a sales or marketing team because it's all founder-led sales. But at some point, if you really want to scale, you need to build out a sales organization, and I would say you need to build out a sales and marketing organization. Yeah. But what a lot of founders do, and this, again, no fault of their own, I think this, this makes sense in, in their mind, is they say, I'm going to go hire some, some, some seasoned sales professionals and I'm going to hope that they figure it out. <laughs> I'm going to hope that they can just do all this for me because I don't really know what to do. So I'm just going to hire a seasoned sales professional to do it. Yeah. And they don't take the time to really build out the sales and marketing organization. What I think is a better play, but it's obviously a more costly play. And this is maybe the reason why. A better play would be to find somebody who is a leader of a sales and marketing organization, not a producer. Because if you just hire producers and you hope that they figure out what tends to happen, because they don't have marketing support, they might not have a sales process in place that they have to try to figure out. And if they're truly a producer, they're going to get frustrated, they're going to get burnt out, and they're probably not going to be too effective. Yeah. I often equate it to, um, if we go to football, for example, it'd be like Patrick Mahomes, who's a great, talented quarterback, not being drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, which has a great you know, organization, but maybe being drafted by the New York Jets, who struggled with organization. Is Patrick Mahomes the same quarterback today that we know him if he's drafted into that company with, with little organization, bad processes, maybe bad coaching? I don't think he is. He's mm -hmm. still probably a good quarterback, but I don't think he's the quarterback we know him today, Super Bowl winning quarterback, MVP quarterback. I think the same thing is true for your sales organization. You bring in some all-star sales talent, but you don't have an organization, a process, and a structure for them. I don't think they're going to be successful. They're going to get burnt out. They're going to leave, and they're probably not going to produce a whole lot for you. So to me, a better path would be to get the marketing and sales infrastructure in place and then hire people who can succeed within that infrastructure. But that's a more costly approach. And I get it. Some founders maybe don't think they have the money. Yeah. Some founders are desperate for revenue and just want to hire some salespeople and don't take that approach. They eventually will. They eventually have to if they're going to be a great organization. Absolutely. But a lot of times I think that's why, why that happens. That's a long answer to your first question. <laughs> your, your, a necessary your second, one. Yeah, your second question was, what are the blind spots that people yeah. have? Um, I think that people don't understand, in general, from a sales perspective, that buyers buy because of words, because of what they hear or what they read. And so those words have to be intentional and have to be designed to create clarity mm -hmm. and to minimize confusion. And a lot of times companies don't put a lot of effort or energy into getting their message right before they start blasting it out there. That's right. Whether that be in their marketing approach or even in their sales approach, they haven't thought through who they really want to talk to, who does their their you know value, who does that really benefit an organization. I was just talking to a prospect this morning who was a tech guy. Mm -hmm. And so his entire website and his approach is tech oriented, but his ICP, his ideal customer profile, is a CFO. Yeah. 
So his messaging was written in techies and, and to tech junkies, but he really needs to be speaking to CFOs. And by not going through that process of saying, okay, what does the CFO need to hear to say yes to this? Right. Then you miss out on your messaging and people go, oh, that's not for me. They go to your website and go, I don't get that. What is that? I don't even know what this is. Move yeah. On. Which is a common mistake, especially when, I mean, I'll, I'll use Transfix as the example here. You know, we, we have segmented ICPs, one for our shippers, one for our carriers, and they're two totally different audiences. I would say the carrier side is probably the more apprehensive side, you know, because they just want you to tell them the truth that, you know, they just want to be straight spoken to, as opposed to having that technological jargon that we often see on a lot of our, you know, fellow competitors and, and even our site, right? And I wonder how, how, how do you think marketers can really break through that particular ICP? Because it's a hard one to crack without yeah, giving I mean, away too much of your secret sauce, obviously. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's important to understand human psychology. I think that's the real crux is understanding how do people think, what influences people to engage and to eventually buy or say yes to something. Yeah. And I think it comes down to positioning. You know, how do you position yourself? So, you know, for Transfix, for a carrier, for example, how do you position yourself to that carrier? And I would just say this just to be a, kind of more of a generalist right now. If you're out there and you're thinking about your messaging, a lot of times people want to make themselves the hero. Look at what we've done. Look at who we are. Let me tell you about all these awards that we've won. We're on the Inc. 5000 again. We're this and we're that. And what you're doing is you're setting yourself up as the hero hmm. instead of setting yourself up as a guide. And in great storytelling and really understanding what engages and what draws somebody in is when you show yourself as a guide that can help them solve their problem. In every story, in every good story, in every movie that you go to watch, in every book that you read, in every good story, there's a hero who has a problem. And that hero can't solve that problem, so they need a guide who mm -hmm. has a plan, who can then, and a real simple plan, who can then call them into that action of that plan that then makes it work. Let me give you the, the easiest example that everybody will understand if they've watched this movie. So if you've seen Hunger Games, of course. We can outline this whole thing in, in 30 seconds. <laughs> Katniss Everdeen is the hero. That's right. right. She wants peace from the capital. Her problem is the capital will not give it to her. Now she's in this battle called the Hunger Games that she doesn't know how to win. But that's her only way to get peace is to somehow win this thing. So that's her problem is how do I win the Hunger Games? Mm -hmm. Her guide is who? Her guide is Hamish, who yep. has won the Hunger Games before. He has authority. He knows what to do. And he guides her through. He tells her the plan. You got to be nicer. You need to get sponsors, right? Um, okay. You got to get, you know, you got to stick to your bow and arrow and be really good at that. And so you see this playing out. And that's why when we go watch Hunger Games, we can spend two hours in a movie theater and we don't even remember that we own a cell phone because we're so locked in and engaged. That's what you want your customers to feel. They want to be in a part of a story where they see themselves as the hero and you're the guy that can solve the problem. So to me, it's all about positioning. I, you know, I have to say the comparison of the Hunger Games to the supply chain could not be better. <laughs> it's so true. You know, you have this position where you are positioning yourself as a hero and that's not the case, right? You want your customer to be the hero. I, I really right. love that approach. It's It feels more authentic as well. Yeah, I, I, I not only authentic, but it's what people, like it's the psychology. It's what people, if I'm a hero, for example, mm -hmm and you're a hero as a prospect, well, then we can't be in the same story. Right. I've got my own story and you've got your own story. But if you're a hero and I'm a guy, now we can work together and, and have a story together. And that's that's the positioning side of it. That again, I think a lot of companies miss because they feel like they need to promote themselves as the hero mm -hmm. as opposed to promoting themselves as a guy. And that's a, that's a big distinction that a lot of companies miss. 
But what is then the difference between, you know, um, I guess self-validation, because you still want to be able to give yourself the credit that says, hey, you should trust me as an organization versus that setting yourself up as the hero, right? Right. Well, again, it all starts with the story and the conversation. If you start with the prospect as the hero and you really understand their problem and you can speak to their problem, then you can speak to how you solve that problem as an authoritative person to do that that's positioning yourself as a guide it's not it's not thinking less of yourself it's positioning yourself in the story yeah the guide i mean hamish is a hero because he won the hunger games right so it's not like he's a slouch it's not like he doesn't have authority and it's not like he doesn't have empathy those are the two most important things hamish has empathy for katniss because she's now going through this Mm because he's been through it and he has authority because he won it so when you position yourself as somebody who's empathetic as a company, hey, we understand your problem. We know this is an issue. This is costing you money. And we can solve it. And here's how we solve it. And then when you back that up with customers who are willing to give testimonials saying, yep, they know how to solve it, that's positioning yourself as a guide. right? And that, again, that's a big distinction versus we're all this. We're great. We're on the Inc. 5000. We've, you know, whatever. Like when you position yourself as a guide, people can feel that. Yeah. When you position yourself as a hero, people can feel that. Mm. Oh man, I love that. You know, I want to jump into more of the technological aspect and the evolution uh, that tech has really played in the supply chain. Now, you know, because tech has really been at the forefront uh, in conjunction with conversations of strategic partnerships, but one would argue that you can't kind of have one without the other. So I would love to know how your time at either Trucker Tools or Data or, or, you know, in, in in, in your career in general, how has that helped you forge a stronger path to success for users that you service? Yeah, you know, just an overview from a a technological standpoint in in our industry, it's always been so fragmented. Um, You have so many different problems within supply chain. And each tech company is kind of solving this little problem or that little problem. And it's almost impossible for one company to solve them all. So I think by its nature, it's fragmented and it's going to be fragmented. I think the the um, uh, the evolution of APIs into our industry to make it more easy for these uh, technologies to connect has been really, really valuable. I remember when I was at Charker Tools, uh, one of the first questions I had to ask was what TMS do you have? Mm. Because if we, we weren't integrated with that TMS, it was really a non-starter. It was right. very difficult to, to do business together. And so technology always had this kind of, you know, this, this hurdle that it had to, to cross, which is can you even use our technology in a meaningful way? Or do you have to leave your TMS, which is where you sit all day, and come to a different piece of technology to do this aspect of the business, which for a long time, that's what it was. You want, oh, you want LTL pricing? Let's go over here and get LTL pricing and get it all figured out. And the more that these technologies can talk to each other, the better. So I I like seeing where that's headed. Right now, what we're seeing is this push towards automation, which I think is really, really powerful. I mean, think of our whole lives. A lot of our lives are built around automation and makes our lives much, much easier. We're just a little behind the curve in transportation. I like seeing the companies that are pushing automation, but I also think that there's multiple ways that it's getting done and some are more effective than the others. So it'll be interesting to see who wins out on that. But my evolution of starting at a TMS, which it's really interesting when you think about it, the TMS is the foundational piece of technology for a freight brokerage uh, in particular. I started there and then I started seeing other things, you know, so started DAT with like load boards, got to see that, went to a TMS, understood that, went to trucker tools and I got to see that. I feel like I got to see several aspects of the supply chain from a technology perspective. So it's, um, it's great to see continuing to move forward. I don't feel like we're 
seeing a lot of innovation right now, though. There's not a ton of new things coming out. Yeah. There was a lot of money that flooded the market in 18, 19, even in 20 before COVID. That's right. I don't know that we've seen the payoff yet from that in terms yeah. of the advancements. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting observation. I think that, you know, part of what we saw in the especially in 2020, right, is that there needed to be a major shift towards organizational restructuring and and even just the way that partnerships are thought of. Now we're at this point where it's post pandemic, quote unquote, you know, however you view it. And now all the issues and I was just talking about this with Shelly Young last week have now resurfaced from 2019. So it's almost like we're starting over again. And that could be kind of where we left off when it came to the technological advancements and where we are today. Do you feel like that's yeah. maybe one and the same? It's very possible. I mean, I, th I think that uh, the the pandemic advanced a lot of things that maybe we we weren't really paying attention to from an organizational perspective. I think people started to understand how to use video calls more effectively. It's definitely become the norm now. I think about this. If you were a manager in 2019 of a sales organization or an operations, a freight brokerage or something like that, if you were a manager there, you had a certain set of skills for in-person management. Right. Now, some of those skills are transferable, obviously, when you think about a virtual world, but some are more difficult. Like, how do you have instant collaboration? How do you how do you create some of those things that you've lost now mm -hmm. from not being in place? And technology has helped to do that, but I think it's almost forced managers, mid-level managers especially, to have to rethink how they're going to manage. I think that there's a, a big gap right now between those who are managing virtually really well and those who are still struggling. Because it's just different in so many aspects. It's so fundamentally different to manage virtually versus in person. How do you create culture and how do you create a vibe and a mood and how do you keep up with people one on one? It takes a lot more intentionality than I think it used to because you could just walk over their desk or you could have a, hey, we're going to powwow in this room real quick. We're all here. It's harder to do those things now. So um that's really interesting but from a from a technology perspective i, I think the maybe some of the problems are resurfacing but they're but they're the same problems because the supply chain essentially is never going to change i mean things don't have to move on a truck and always will so you know those problems that didn't get addressed because of covid are certainly going to resurface but i think covid has definitely accelerated some of that automation that we we're talking about and some of the other technologies that we now use yeah, I'd love your perspective on what you think the biggest blind spot is for shippers, um, you know, today and that they could be using technology to their advantage. Do you feel like it's within that TMS space or do you feel like it might be something a little bit different? Yeah, for shippers, that's a good question. I don't work with shippers a whole heck of a lot. Um, I, I work more with freight brokers and I see yeah. it from that perspective. But I think that um, what, what I'm seeing freight brokers doing is trying to provide more technology to that small and medium shipper because they still don't have it. Right. You know, it's still amazing that in 2023, a lot of the shippers are still using spreadsheets or not using spreadsheets even. Right. Um, that still blows me away. And so I've seen a lot of freight brokers who are trying to be more tech focused in terms of what they're actually offering shippers. So to me, that's the play that brokers are making that I think is going to be powerful because it will create a sticky shipper. If I can give you a piece of technology yeah. to utilize. It's going to help you organize your business. Uh, oh, and by the way, you get to work with me as a freight broker and I'll move all your freight. It, it's a it's a good play for both sides of it. But I think I'm still amazed at how many shippers don't have uh, even a, you know, a good TMS they're using or technology they're using. And that creates a ton of blind spots. So okay. whether that's in visibility tracking, um, whether that's in you know adequate geofencing, whether that's in scorecarding for carriers or for brokers. Sure. I mean, how, how do you do that if you don't have data readily available and be able to manipulate that in a way to create reports or to create those types of data points. Yeah, it's interesting because for every enterprise shipper that you have that has obviously been able to 
use their budgets towards spending, you know, for technological advancements and helping right. get to that automation per perfect spot for every, you know, mid-market small shipper, they're not. And it is kind of fascinating that, you know, faxing is still a thing in some very specific parts of the country, which just blows my mind. <laughs> I can't even think right, about that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like a step backwards in, in, when you when you do that. But I yeah. think that brokers are starting to understand that they can provide technology. Absolutely. That will help solve some of the problem and eliminate some of those blind spots. But to me, that's still kind of the crazy part is that shippers don't have many shippers, mid and small shippers don't even have technology. They're, yeah. You know, I I have to say, we've, we've kind of gone over your path, your career path, and you have quite a lot on your plate. And I, you know, and plus you're a, two, a girl dad of two lovely girls and you mentioned your wife, right? And I'm, how do you do it, Trey? How do you maintain sanity through all of this? Sometimes I don't think I do uh, very well. Um, I think that, I mean, my personality is to do a lot of different things and that can be really beneficial in some cases and that can be a detriment just like anything else. Some people are like laser focused on one thing. And again, that can be very beneficial, but it can also be a detriment in other ways as well. Yeah. So I think it's about, uh, you know, for me, it's about um, embracing who I am and being okay with that and being okay that I'm different than other people. Um, you know, there are other people out there that are going to be more successful than me. They're maybe more laser focused than me. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're less focused on family than I am, whatever it is. Like we're all, we're all running our own race. Um, and so for me, it's about just being comfortable with who I am and then trying to embrace that and, and be the best at that, that I can be. So if that is doing a lot of different things, which again, I like to do, I, I like doing real estate. Um, I'm not a full-time agent. I don't want to be, yeah. uh, but I like selling a house here and there. It's fun. Yeah. You know, I enjoy that uh, aspect of it. I like, um, you know, starting different podcasts. I just started another one. that's a monthly podcast called the edge where I'm trying to highlight technology. That's really moving, moving the ball forward mm -hmm. because I felt like there was a, a gap um, in terms of people knowing what's out there. Yeah. You know, if, if you, if you want to demo a piece of technology, you got to give me information. You got to start the whole process. Well, why can't we just make it visible? Like, hey, this is what this does. Yeah. Come check it out. And so I just started a, you know, a monthly podcast called The Edge where, you know, we, we highlighted green screens last month. We're highlighting highway this next month. Uh, we got a couple of others in the hopper that we're going to be highlighting. Some technologies that many people don't even know is out there. So I want to bring those to the surface and do that. Well, I like this kind of stuff. I like I got, I got these ideas that I come up with. And yeah. I think for, for a creator, if you have a creative mind, the worst thing you can do is to not at least get the ideas out. You don't have to act on all of them. But get them out there and start acting on some of them, because to me, that's really exciting when you see something come to life that didn't exist previously. And I like doing a lot of different things. So how do I do it? I don't know. I don't know that I do it very well, but I, I love it. I enjoy yeah. it. And um, I try just to be as good as, as good as I can uh, in this framework. You know, the tech ungating technology, I think, is is the it's a great market to capitalize on because to your point, when you, when new technology comes out, especially in the supply chain space, right? You, everything is gated. You have to provide your information, then you have to wait and you have to, you know, see if it's, if it's the right market for, for you. And in a lot of cases, it's not. So being able to provide that, that information upfront is probably the best thing that one can do. So the edge, when monthly can we see that or hear that? Podcast? So it's the first Wednesday of the month at 1 PM central. Okay. And it's about an hour long. And again, it's just, it's kind of a conversation slash sales demo yeah. where um, the the guest just walks me through their platform. It's a live show. So people watch it live. They can ask questions live, we try to answer as many as we can answer during the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a place to, to, to collect an email address. There's definitely a place for those types of things. But 
I want people to know what's out there and I want to move the ball forward as much as possible. And so, and, and the other thing too, is that I don't charge any of my guests to be on the show. So I don't charge them because I think it changes the nature of the show. Not only that one, but standing out word on the street, nobody pays to be on my shows. I got sponsors that help kind of keep the, keep the show running, help monetize mm -hmm. it that way. But I want these to be authentic conversations and I want them to be the ones where from, from like with the edge that somebody could watch that and go, Oh, I know what they do now. That makes sense. Yeah. I got it. Right. And, and I think there's something right now that's really popular about building in public and people are starting to embrace that you build in public instead of just building behind closed doors. So trying to capture that and help move the ball forward as much as possible with the technologies that are out there, provide some visibility to what's out there that maybe people don't have. A lot of these new technologies don't have budgets. Like they yeah. may not have money. So I'd love, if they're doing great work, I want to get them out there and help them out. So, you know, you brought up this methodology uh, to life and I'm kind of jumping a little bit, but I think it, 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 it's a great segue where you, where people should spend more time focusing on their mental makeup, right? And how it impacts their life. What does that mean to you? And how does that apply to yourself as both a professional, but also as a person? Yeah. How long do we have for this segment? <laughs> <laughs> as much time as you need. Let me, let me try to capture it as much as possible. Um, I think that everybody should go to counseling and here's why. Um, we all have parents. That's why we should go to counseling. And I'm not saying anything against anyone's parents, <laughs> but when you're raised by humans yeah. who don't know what they're doing, and let's just be honest, none of us really know what we're doing. We're all figuring this thing out. I mean, there was no guidebook on how to be a parent, especially to my two kids who are uniquely created. We're all trying to figure it out. Um, and so because of that, I know that I'm damaging my kids right now. I'm doing something that they're going to have to figure out later in life. Yeah. And that's true for all of us. And so I start by saying, it's okay when you recognize there's something wrong with you mm -hmm. or something that just doesn't seem right. Maybe that's the best way to say it. So for me, the way that that really manifested itself for me is this. I grew up a pretty successful kid. Um, I played in little leagues where I won championships. I was on the all-star teams. I was pretty good at music. I played in bands. I was in a jazz band. I had solos. I was in the concert choir. I was a part of a barbershop quartet. Um, I played, I won six letters in high school. I played varsity basketball for the winningest coach in the state of Missouri. Um, I was all tournament team for a couple of those. I got to play college basketball and I went to a final four for NAI division two. I got to play college golf and went to a national championship. Wow. Like when you look at the resume, you might think this guy's got it all together. This guy's uber confident. This guy must, you know, what people don't know is that I, I struggle with confidence. I couldn't ask a girl out. Unless I knew it was a yes, there was I couldn't go up to anybody and ask for a phone number at a bar. I could never do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had I had zero confidence, and when it really kind of came forward that this was an issue was during my door to door office supply sales job, where I was in a car in downtown Portland, Oregon, crying because I didn't want to go back into a, a door and get rejected again. And at some point, I looked and I went, "This doesn't seem right." Like, why would it bother me to go in and hear somebody say, no, thank you? Yeah. Why would that bother me? Right. Especially being somebody who has had a lot of success in life. Why does that bother me? And it, it took me to a counselor, kind of led me that direction. I talked to my wife about it. She said, hey, why don't you go talk to somebody about it? And so I went and talked to a counselor about it, along with some other just things that, you know, some struggles I had, some, some views I had towards women. And this all goes back to, uh, this all makes sense here in a minute. But I went to the counselor and I said, here's, here's some issues in my life. I don't understand. I understand why I think this way. I don't understand why I self-sabotage. I understand why I lack confidence. Um, and as I, I worked through my story, which took, you know, weeks, months, I can't remember how long, but there was one moment where the counselor, like the light bulb went off and he goes, I know what happened to you. 
essentially is what he said. He goes, I know what happened to you. Let me tell you what happened. And here's what happened. My dad had a bad childhood, terrible childhood. When he was 13, oldest of five, when he was 13, his mom, my grandma, she was a pretty mean lady, um, put his dad, my grandpa, into a mental institution because when he came back from the war, he probably had PTSD. He probably had issues. And my grandma didn't know how to deal with it. So she just put him into a a veteran's home, essentially, you know, a military mental institution. Mm -hmm. Well, back then, this was like 19, what was this, 1958. They didn't have a lot of safety social net or social safety nets for families and for disability and for those types of things. And so my dad had to become the major breadwinner of the family Mm -hmm. at 13. He had to get up early in the morning and throw newspapers. He had to stay after school and uh, sack groceries. And he missed out on sports. He missed out on school activities. He missed out on a lot of stuff. Not only that, but he had this mother that was just mean. So he and, and took his dad away. So here he's got this negative view of women, number one. And then he lost all the opportunities to be a kid at 13. Mm, yeah. So then when he had me, his only boy, he had three daughters. Then he had me and he treated me way differently than he treated my sisters, which I, I feel terrible about. But when he had me, he was like, this is my chance. So mm. he coached all my teams. He was very active in my life. My parents divorced when I was seven. Somehow he got custody of me, which was amazing. It's a whole other story. But from the age of seven to 16, I lived with my dad. And he was very inactive in my life. He coached all my sports. He, he supported me in the things that I did. He came home every day after driving a local truck and cooked me a hot meal. And I don't know too many single dads no. who would do that. Yeah. So he did a lot of things right. But the one thing that my dad did that really had an impact on me is he took the credit for the things I did well. Mm. So if I made the all-star team or we won a championship or I got a lot of hits in the game or I made some baskets in basketball, it always went back to him. He's like, I'm glad I will help you, you know, shoot, or I'm glad I taught you how to hit or who taught you how to do that. It's like he needed validation so bad, so desperately that he took it from me. Mm. So everything I did well, he, he took credit for. If I did something poorly though, if I had a bad game in basketball, too many turnovers, or I struck out, it's like, you need to work on your ball handling. You need to work on your passing. You need to do this or that. So for that time when it's so critical that our wiring gets formed in our brain, of which, by the way, we don't have any influence over that. Our parents do this to us. Yeah. But that time from like age four to 14, where our wiring and our worldview really gets set, during that time, the message I was hearing from my dad is that anything I did well was because of him or something external. And everything that I did poorly was internal. It was my fault. Hmm. So I lacked confidence. And I always felt like I was getting lucky. I made varsity basketball team because I just got lucky. You know, we, yeah. we got to the final four in basketball. We just got, I got lucky. And what the counselor had to teach me was, no, you were in the gym shooting. You need to give yourself credit for that. You were on the driving range hitting those golf balls. You need to give yourself credit for that. Yep. You wrote all those articles in high school and college for the newspaper. You're a good writer because of that. You need to give yourself credit for that. And it wasn't like bragging or being arrogant. It was creating what I call justifiable confidence, meaning confidence that's built on a record on, of doing the right things. And it took me a long time to start to give myself credit for these things. So that was a, that was a big thing for me. But what I would say, to, I'll, I'll kind of sum it up with this. I think it's really critical for everybody to really understand their past in order to really create their future. Embrace your past to build your future because there was this time period for all of us from age four to 14 where our worldview was shaped about how we saw the world, but also how we saw ourselves. And it wasn't influenced 
by us as much as it was by other people, by our parents and by other people. So we need to evaluate that and say, what was good? What was bad? How, what do I need to work on? And so for me, it's been working on that justifiable confidence. It's also been working on how I view women. Because I remember the day that my dad came home and said, I'm done with women. He had dated a couple women after, and that was his second marriage with my mom. He had dated a couple women afterwards, and he said, I'm done with women. I don't need them. What message does that give a 10-year-old boy? Right. That women are, are not important, that they're not needed, they're not valued. And so I struggled with my view of women for a long, long time. And so I had to start reconditioning or rewiring my brain for that as well. But here's what I'd say is, it's not your fault the way you are. But once you realize who you are, it's your fault if you don't do anything about it. Mm. And that's wow. my everybody is just to understand who they are because it massively impacts who you are and then decide who you want to be and work towards that. I, I just want to all of that is, is insanely important, specifically, I mean, to any industry, to any path in life. Right. You can apply that anywhere. But what I've noticed in the supply chain as well, and one of the least talked about things here is mental health. And how, and I want to talk specifically about carriers and drivers because they spend so much of their time behind a wheel. You know that firsthand with your dad and the, and those that you've worked with, that it 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 goes undiscussed, right? How lonely the trucking industry can be, and yeah. how insanely solitude it is. And so think about like you know I th I think about all the the truck drivers that are doing kind of long haul trucking and then what they end up doing is sitting with these thoughts and sitting with that growing up mentality because it is such a lonely industry and and you know and and you just don't have time right you could argue you don't have time to apply the fixing to yourself that once you start acknowledging it can you maybe walk, and I, you know, I, I know this is probably an unfair question, but can you maybe help carriers and drivers understand the importance of that? Because oftentimes, trucking can be a second opportunity, a second chance at life, right? And it, but it's not the end solution. Yeah, I, I, you know, everybody is so uniquely different in what you know what what um, kind of makes them really thrive in life. There's probably a lot of carriers out on the road who love the fact that it's lonely because they're introverted. Like my wife, you know, she, she's like, what can I do for you today? Would you take the kids and go somewhere? Like that's, you know, that, that's what she wants because yeah. she, she appreciates the alone time. So there's probably some drivers out there who, who are thriving. Who are mm -hmm. like, man, this is the best thing ever. Right. And we need to acknowledge that. Like, like that, this could be a really good thing for people who like that alone time, get energy from being alone and doing their own thing. Yeah. Maybe that's great. But there's others like myself, if I had to drive a truck by myself all day, like it would not go well. It'd be really, really hard because of the way that I'm wired. I get my energy from being around people. And so it's one, I think, for people to really understand who they are. Again, what in what areas of life do I really thrive? Am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? Yeah. Uh, but then two, it's like, you know, as an industry, we have to provide resources that will help them to utilize that. So it could be that, you know, here's one. I had a friend who was a firefighter one time. And this, this will make sense in a minute. But I had a friend who was a firefighter. And as you know, firefighters have a lot of downtime on their yeah. hands because you know they, they only go jump into action when there's really a need and not that there aren't a lot of needs but there's a lot of time they're just sitting around and i had a friend of mine who said man i love putting together computers and so he started his own business where he built computers in the firehouse when he had downtime because he's just sitting there he could either watch tv or he could hang out with the other firefighters but he was an introvert who loved building computers so he was able to take that time that he had and use it productively and provide, give himself a lot of energy and do something really, really healthy mm -hmm. in the time that he was just sitting there in a firehouse with seven other guys 
um, that could be miserable if he was forced to like hang out with them all the time. Yeah. Uh, so he knew who he was and he, and he did something accordingly. I think that truck drivers should do the same thing for themselves. They should figure out what really makes them tick. Um, whatever it is, try to find time for that. Make sure that, that that's the case. If that's family time, then man, you gotta, you gotta make time to get off the road and, you know, FaceTime your family as much as possible or bring somebody with you, you know, see if you can bring a child with you on a trip if they're old enough, you know, high school or something, get them, get, take a week or so off and come with you on a trip or whatever it is that's going to help you thrive. Yeah. But then as an industry, I think we have to do a better job of helping provide resources for drivers based on who they are. And this is where companies that know their drivers do the best job of retention. Right. Oh, any company in general does this if they know their people, but you have to know what makes your driver tick. If your driver really needs some interaction, then you need to have resources available to talk to that driver throughout the day. I've got a good friend, Mark Monera, Supply Chain Fitness. Yeah. You might know Mark. I do know Mark. He is, he's creating a new service offering right now that is basically becoming an assistant for a driver because drivers are on the road and they might not have time to send their wife flowers. They might have time to you know, schedule an appointment for their dog, get groomed or whatever it is. And they just need help. They just need somebody to talk to or somebody to help them out with things. He's creating that service. I think we have to create these resources for drivers based upon who they are and what they need. Because yeah. like I said, there's probably some drivers who don't want to be talked, don't want to be called or, you know, talked to and they're happy. They're loving it. Yeah. But then there's people like me that, man, you better get me on the phone like every half hour and just check in. Cause man, I need to talk to somebody, you That's know, real. That's real. so yeah. that'd be my advice. Provide those resources. That's wonderful. You know, I, I'll, if you'll indulge me in one more bit of advice from you, and then uh, I will leave you leave you to your um, to your day. But you know, when it comes down to authentic marketing in this space, because you have to be real, and I think that a lot of people in this industry specifically can see right through it when you're not telling the truth. What does that? What should that look like for? even, you know, 3PLs for brokers that are, have been doing it for a while. And then for the new guys that are just coming in, trying to hit their mark. You know, it's interesting. I think if we talk sales, you know, one of the compliments that you get in sales is, man, you're so good. You could sell ice to an Eskimo. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. Let me tell you why. An Eskimo doesn't need ice. That's right. They need a coat. They need a, a home or an igloo, right? I think it starts with empathy. Mm-hmm. It starts with empathy, really caring about your prospect and the problem that they have. If you really care about your prospect as a person or as a company, however you want to frame it, and you really care about the problem that they have, you can empathize and understand that problem. And if you really have a solution that will help that problem, help solve that problem, that's where it all starts from. You know, selling ice to an Eskimo might get you a a buck now. But once that Eskimo realizes they had ice all along and didn't need it, you're going to lose them. So I think it's really important that you start with empathy and that three things occur. You really um, value the prospect as a person or company. You really have empathy for the problem that they have. You understand the problem and you know you have a solution that will fix it. That's authenticity. Anything outside of that, if you can't check all three of those boxes, then I don't think you're going to be successful long term and you shouldn't even be selling something to somebody anyways, in my opinion. That's brilliant. What a great way to end the show. Trey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know Beta Consulting Group, but it, but let us know where we can find you and what's your optimal choice of, of outreach for those that have been inspired by today's conversation. 
Well, again, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. LinkedIn is an easy way to connect with me and to DM with me. Um, I respond to every DM that I get still. So if you have a question or, or just want to say hi or whatever, reach out to me on LinkedIn and send me a DM. If you want to learn more about our company and what we do specifically, just go to betaconsultinggroup.com and be sure to schedule a 15-minute call. It's right there. It's one of the calls to action right there on there. Just schedule that with me and then we'll talk about your company and see if we can be of service to you. Trey, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I, I I feel like I need to have you back on the show because that was a very peaceful, inspired conversation that I think we can have more of. So I appreciate you today. Anytime, Jenny. Thanks for having me on.